when you hear about superheroes, what do you think of? Maybe some of those cartoons you used to watch or comic books. You know, they had Captain America or Superman or Spider-Man or, or maybe you're more into the modern-day new heroes like the Incredible Family. Either way, when you think of superheroes, you think of those super feats that they, that they, commend, uh, that they committed and, and, wow, how they were there to save the day, so to speak. Now, superheroes are probably just something that's in our imagination. It's just fiction. Although, for some people, maybe they want to become a superhero. <laughs> and so they want to assume that identity, even if it is just in costume. But we might say it's unlikely that there are really any superheroes like that today. But what about these guys? Do you think they were superheroes? The disciples of Jesus? I mean, they did some pretty spectacular things. After Jesus left and they carried out their ministry, they were healing people who were sick, they were casting out demons, they were raising people from the dead. Of course, we know that all those supernatural feats were not really because of powers they had. It was God who was working through them. But yet there's something else that they did that maybe we wouldn't classify or think about right away as being supernatural, but in every way it was God still working through them. And that was how they were simply living their lives in hope. The Apostle Peter reminds us that we have that same hope. In his first letter that's in the Bible, he tells us about a living hope that we all have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when he calls it a living hope, he's reminding us that it is something that is alive in us. It's something that we can see in our daily life. Now, the past few weeks, we've been reading through that letter and, and noting how this living hope is ours and what it means. As we read further on in that letter today, we're going to see how he is showing us, here's how that living hope becomes something very obvious in your life. Now, I want you to think for a minute about a tree. How are you going to know if, if that tree is a, is a fruit tree? Because of the fruit that it's going to produce, right? So you're going to know it's an apple tree because it produces apples. And if you taste that apple, you'll know if the fruit is good or not and if that tree is good or not. How do people know that you have a living hope? Well, Peter is going to instruct us today in some daily living advice and from that, he's going to show us that from living hope comes the fruit of love and respect. And he's going to show us that that living hope is alive in our daily life, and it produces love and respect in a number of circumstances. So let's read on now in 1 Peter and see how that living hope shows itself in love and respect. Here's how he continues. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority 
or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Well, you can see then that the first situation that Peter is urging us to show that living hope is what we might call living under earthly authorities. Now, at this time in our country, we're going through the political campaigns. And so we hear a lot of things. And not everything we hear is so nice. We hear a lot of criticisms about people. We hear a lot of complaints about the way things are. And we hear a lot of promises and bragging that goes on. And all of that may create in us a spirit, likewise, of criticism or, or being cynical. What we need to remember is that those governing authorities have been placed there by God. And so what Peter is telling us first that we need to do is to submit to those authorities. That means to recognize who they are and the role that God has given them. And I can summarize that with two words. Agents and servants. The earthly authorities, the, the government that God has established, are his agents. By that I mean God has chosen to bless us, to supply our needs, to guide us in life, and to protect us through these human ruling authorities. They are his agents. As Peter explained, they are there to stop what is evil and punish it, and they are there to commend and encourage what is good. But they are also servants, and by that I mean they are to serve God in those purposes. They are there to carry out their responsibilities for that purpose of blessing God's people. Now, they may not always do that, <laughs> and they may not always do it the best way or the right way, in fact, they may not always see themselves as God's servant. They're human beings, they're sinful, they're imperfect, and some don't believe in God. Nonetheless, God tells us he has established them as authorities over us to be agents for blessing and his servants. Therefore, we are to recognize that role they play and to love and respect them. As Peter put it, we are to see ourselves as God's slaves or as God's servants toward them. How we relate to them is to reflect our position with God as his servants. Look at some of the key words here that I highlighted from that section. Peter said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. That is, we are to follow God's will in how we live under these authorities. Now, as Americans, we, we have certain freedoms, and we like those freedoms, and we'll be de very defensive of those freedoms. One of those freedoms is the freedom of speech. 
In other words, we can say what we want. But Peter reminds us in our freedom that we should not use it as a cover-up for evil. In other words, don't see that you have a permission now to sin, to say whatever you want if that, what you're saying is wrong. So sometimes we do that with criticisms that we level against others. While we may have the freedom to say what we want, God says we must use that freedom in a way that will be according to his will, for we are his servants. And we should operate with a sense of fear and respect, love and respect toward God. So in this area then of living our life with a living hope, under the authorities God has established, show that living hope in your life with love and respect. Now Peter goes on to talk about a second area of life that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. He says, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. The situation that Peter is describing is what we might simply call the workplace. Now he was talking about slaves and masters, and we might hear that and say, well, that really isn't my situation, although maybe sometimes you feel that way. But what he is doing is telling us to recognize what our position is. When he used that word submit, he says, look at what your role is in the workplace. Now, Peter, nor Paul, who also wrote about this, is not in any way commending or approving of slavery. But we have to also understand that slavery in biblical times was so different than that horrible slavery that existed in our country. Oftentimes, people in Bible times were in slavery because it was their way of finding employment or paying off a debt. Yes, some might have been there against their will, and some may have been abused. And Paul and Peter addressed that as they talked to masters. But their key point is to see what your position is and to carry it out faithfully. Even if, he said, you are living under harsh circumstances with a harsh master, he says, remember that first of all, you are God's servants. Therefore, in whatever work situation you find yourself, work faithfully. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to approve of sin or tolerate it. Maybe you need to get out of that circumstance. You certainly don't want to be in a circumstance and find yourself trapped in a temptation to sin. But he is reminding us that we need to work faithfully under that authority. The Apostle Paul states it beautifully in these words from Colossians 3. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, 
but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So he reminds us then that that living hope should be there every day, even in the workplace, as we live out and work with love and respect. Now, as we hear those words, we maybe feel like Peter's readers might have been feeling. Maybe a little bit of guilt. I haven't always had that attitude. Or maybe with a sense of pride. Yeah, I do pretty good. Peter wants to remind us as he goes on, what is the source, what's the reason that we will live with love and respect toward others? That reason, he said, is our Redeemer. Listen as Paul goes on, Peter goes on. To this, meaning living with love and respect, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And now he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly, meaning God. Now he quotes Isaiah again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you were feeling any guilt, if you were feeling any pride over living with love and respect, Peter reminds you to look at your Redeemer. To look how Jesus lived with love and respect, even when he was being mistreated and falsely accused and put to death. He lived with love and respect, and for the purpose of giving that love and respect to you. You see, God has removed from, our rec from his record any incidents where we didn't show love or respect. And he has put in that place Jesus' love and respect. Through faith in Christ, we have Jesus' obedience. And all those occurrences when we haven't been loving or respectful, he has wiped it clean forever. I have to tell you this as a little illustration. So Friday night at 10 o'clock, my manuscript is finished, and now I go to develop the outline that goes in your bulletin, which you see has got a lot of blanks. And I just create that off of the manuscript. I just start erasing things. I forgot to save it as a new document. So when I had completely deleted my whole manuscript, it was gone. 
10 o'clock Friday night, and I have no sermon. I just have a bunch of blanks. <laughs> you see, that's what God does with our record of wrong, too. He just completely erases it from memory, and he says, start over. And he urges us to remember that in Christ, all of our sins have been punished. There's nothing we need to do to erase it. He's done it all for us in Jesus. And now he says, start over. Follow the example of Christ. Follow him. Follow the shepherd, not the herd. Maybe too often we want to follow the herd. We want to follow the example the way everybody else is doing it when we should be following what Jesus has done. That, Peter reminds us, is our motivation, the source for love and respect. That's where that living hope comes from, our Redeemer. Show that when you live under the authorities God has put over you. Show that in your workplace. Now Peter gives us a third circumstance of our daily life. Let's read on. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, guys, listen up. Husbands, in the same way, and he's not just talking about don't braid your hair or wear gold jewelry. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So Peter is urging us to show living hope with love and respect in a daily situation we call marriage. Now, in our age of being PC, politically correct, there probably were some statements in those words that would raise a few hackles on some people. We don't talk like that. That's not the way to address people. But remember, these are God's words, and so they're true and they're loving. For example, when God refers to the husband as the head, it didn't mean he's the boss and he's the dictator and it better go his way. No, it said he's the head like Christ is the head of the church, who is loving, who is caring, who is providing it refers to the wives as being the suitable helper. I call that the perfect match, the perfect complement for us guys. Ladies, you complete us because we have some deficiencies. And he describes us as being partners, 
that we work together. He wasn't saying one is inferior and one superior, so submit to the superior one. No, when he was saying submit, that was a word that simply meant recognize your roles. Paul refers to that when he talks about marriage in Ephesians 5. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And when he referred to the women as the weaker partner, he didn't mean weaker as inferior, but he referred to that as being genteel. Because we guys can be like bulls in a china shop. So we need you and your gentle spirit to take the edge off. But above all, he said, together we are heirs with Christ of eternal life. We have a living hope. Show it with love and respect to your spouse. And that means then carry out your responsibilities. Those responsibilities are so beautifully summarized for us in the marriage vow. Do you remember these? Here's what we say in our, our wedding ceremony. Will you be guided by the counsel and direction God has given in his word? And to the guys we say, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Which, by the way, gentlemen, Paul tells us, that meant he gave up his life for the church. Are you willing to do that for your wife? And to the ladies, we say, submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, which simply means see what your role is. And as you lovingly follow the direction of the Lord Jesus, so lovingly work with your partner, your husband. Will you be faithful, cherish, support, and help in sickness and in health as long as you both shall live? Because we have a living hope we can answer by the strength of the Spirit, I do. But sometimes, because we're human beings, we don't. We need God's forgiveness, and we need God's strength. This summer in, in June, we're going to do a little workshop, a little seminar, I'm not sure exactly when or for how long yet, but we're going to entitle it, I Still Do. And it's going to be for husbands and wives to come together to remind themselves of what God has called them to do and equipped them to do with that living hope. Now finally, the apostle gives us one more encouragement, and that is about all the relationships that we have, to live with love and respect. He summarizes it this way. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another, be compassionate and humble. When he's addressing all of them, he was reminding them of their place in the family of God. Now, families live in close proximity. They share the same space and the same activities and same feelings and concerns. Sometimes, because of that closeness, people might step on other people's toes, so to speak. There might be some tension. There might be some resentment, some conflict. The Apostle Paul reminds us, however, that whether it's your family in your home or your family of God here, to remember who you are, remember your identity. You have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So live with love and respect. In other words, he was encouraging us to live with the character of Christ. He said, be like-minded, which means to be in harmony. Now, we know what harmony is like. We can play two notes on the piano. It can sound beautiful. But if one of those notes moves out of position and is too close to the other, it creates some disharmony. And what do you have to do to get that harmony back? One of those notes has to move. It has to change. And so he's urging us then to take note of our role and responsibility and live to create harmony. He says be sympathetic, which means having a heartfelt concern for others, feeling their needs. He says be loving. That was that special word for love that meant a selfless, self-sacrificing love that doesn't think about your needs but is thinking about the other person. He says be compassionate, which means having warm, heartfelt kindness toward others. And he said, be humble. I think the Christian writer C.S. Lewis defined humility best when he said, it's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, thinking of others more. So in this way, we are urged to take that living hope and let it show in our daily lives with love and respect. Now, we know we're getting close to lunchtime, and your stomach, like mine, is probably starting to growl. So think of a good favorite meal. What is it that makes it your meals, that meal so favorite? Well, obviously, the ingredients. Some are the very basic ingredients, but there might be some special flavoring or some special ingredient that's also added to it that really draws your, your attention and, and your desire for it. We have a living hope. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it also produces in us love and respect. And when that love and respect is shown toward others, the blessing we have of a living hope becomes a blessing to others. It produces joy and hope in others. Jesus lives. We know that. And because he lives, we too will live. So let's start living now that hope as we show love and respect. Amen.